Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zombie Girls. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me are my amazing co-hosts from the Pacific Northwest, Ariel. Hello. From, I guess, my neighborhood, Matilda. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and from um, our neighbor to the south, Sarah. <laughs> Hi. What have you lovely ladies been up to since the last time we recorded? Um, yeah, nothing too eventful. But Rachel, do you remember how on a more deadly episode, like a few months back, I was telling you about these neighbors who are always having parties and making elote and how much I wanted to eat all of their food? Yes, yes. Did you get in there? No, not yet. Oh but my god. <laughs> okay, it's still <laughs> it's cold out now, but they're still doing these barbecues out there. Uh-huh. And because it hasn't started raining a ton yet, so they're still at it. And so I'm slowly making progress now. I've met them. We chat every time I go by. They pet my dog. So I feel like any day now they're going to offer me some food. What if you just started tying a napkin around your neck (laughs) when you walk by? (laughs) And just like lick your lips as you walk by with a napkin around your neck. I need to tell them that it smells good more. Yes. yes, you're right. And then I figure there's a big enough crowd sometimes that maybe I can just, maybe Make they'll just not place. notice if I wander in there, you know? <laughs> I mean, how big is this crowd? Are we talking like 20 people, 50 people? More like 20. Yeah. I feel like 20 is a fair amount of cover. Yeah. <laughs> you can dip in and out real quick. Like, I don't, also, I like a, it's a small gathering. Person. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, probably because <laughs> they have bigger ones like, during the summer. Being who you are, you could train a raccoon to go in there for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and hit true. that hit that food table and come back, like run run back up Be to my the window for thieves. you. Oh, yeah. yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> train the raccoons instead of having them chase me. I like that. I mean, the other option is you could learn how to make a lote. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's. that's I mean, that's actually a fair point. It's probably not that difficult. <laughs> it's 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 really not. It's like uh, it's it's like a tahini, lime, um, yeah. mayonnaise, cheese, and cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want it right now. Right? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm crossing my fingers that you either learn how to make a lote or get in there. I again, I think Operation Napkin Neck might be the way to do it. Like, show up just like from now on. When you go for a walk, you have a napkin around your neck. It says uh-huh. maybe like you could even get like one of those, not just a regular napkin, but like one of those ones that is like made for tying around it, and it could have like instead of a lobster, it could have an elote on it, and then a knife in one hand and a dinner fork in the other as you're walking by. Just <laughs> see I if think, they take the hand. <laughs> well, I think it'll work on a subconscious level, right? Like you don't say anything, but they'll see it in their subconscious mind. That's how it works, right, Matilda? Um, yeah, we'll pick up on the subtle clues that you would right. like to participate in the. Of course. <laughs> it would be helpful if you could get one of those um like Looney Tunes sized forks. Yes. That's like oh, about yes. as big as yes. you with with and lick your chops with the fork <laughs> yeah. and the knife and the napkin tied around you. I think they might get a hint. Okay. Don't be afraid to dribble. Like that's there's something that, you know, like on an evolutionary level that they'll pick up on. You know what I mean? It's like I'm Pavlovian <laughs> response to you. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. They will welcome you into their home and it's a flawless <laughs> plan. I don't or, see a flaw. <laughs> or 
you could just stop by the next time they they're having a, a gathering with a bottle of tequila and say, "Hey, I have this, but I have no one to drink it with." Oh my gosh, Sarah, that's a perfect idea. <laughs> I should totally I mean, do that. Perfect. I mean, just... I, I feel like I presented you with a perfect idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know how it goes. All right. Okay. How about you, uh, Matilda and Sarah? Anything exciting since the last time we recorded? Well, last night you took a few of us to a fairly uh, exciting thing. Yes. Uh, we got to reap the benefits of Rachel's job a little bit um, <laughs> because she was reviewing a, a VR experience place local to us. And of the crowd of six of us, four of us have not played a video game in a very long time. So we were like, we're all going to die right away. We died a but lot. But it was so fun. Oh, that's it awesome. It was so fun. Um, it was like a zombie scenario, and so they suit you up, and so when you look at yourself in the mirror, you are completely a different <gasps> Ooh, fun person, and you when you turn around, it has your name on the back of you. Yeah. And you so got to cool. pick your weapons. Um, I totally recommend the... Uh, Rachel, how did your two pistols choice They were go? great. I had a good time with the two pistols, but I, w- I did have buzzsaw envy. Yeah, but the, the, like one pistol, one buzzsaw was really, I was really happy with my choice because you could, there was like a lot of satisfying splatter. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There were a few times where I was like getting pinned down by zombie dogs and I just see an arm with a buzzsaw come over my shoulder and be like, <laughs> I was just like, hell yeah. So <laughs> how it's going to be in the real zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. And like these nine foot creatures would come and just like wipe out a bunch of you. And so you could die and everything you would see would turn black and white but then you're you could call for help and with your little jan jackson rhythm nation microphone that's attached yes. to you and all your friends yes. <laughs> and then um your friends can put their hand on your shoulder for like a few seconds and that heals you and i went away with just like wishing so much that that was a real thing that would be so cool because you could feel your friend's energy coming up don't you wish that like emotionally or physically you could do that for an injured friend just put your hand on them and feel them like come back to color yeah yeah it like hurt my heart how much i wanted that to be real (laughs) (laughs) that was my unexpected takeaway but it was really fun in there and we were wearing vests so you could feel them hit you yeah the haptic feedback vests yeah Mm, i will say only half my vest worked properly because my the entire time my back was getting lit up by friendly fire everybody's like uh hit rate was about 50 percent and i know where the other 50 percent went into my back (laughs) i will also say when you with that feedback when you turn on your buzzsaw your whole body rumbles so that was very satisfying yeah yeah i I can always tell when you were reviving me because i could hear your buzzsaw yeah i might have had it on and the what I was hitting, what I was touching you with. So hopefully it didn't take me too long to revive you. I hope I wasn't like cutting off no. your head at the same time. No, 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 I just always <laughs> knew it was you versus like Randy or something. But yeah, it was, it was super fun. So for those who don't know, it's called uh, Sandbox VR. And the one we did was called Deadwood Valley. And it's essentially, if you're a gamer, it's left for dead in VR. It's like you are a team of your friends and you're fighting off hordes of zombies and creatures and 
Sometimes they're 12 foot tall creatures. Uh, it's, it's very, very fun. And I would, I highly recommend it. Yeah, um, it was really fun. Even for at, people who are like video yes. game novices like me. You're right. Like you, I was a little nervous. Because, like I knew that Randy and I, who are gamers, were going to be super into it. And I knew that Mr. Matilda was going to be fine when he got in the outfit and I could immediately hear him giggling. I was like, because oh, he was <laughs> shooting every, all of us in the room. Yes. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew he was having a good time. But the thing is, is, you have headphones on, so I could hear the quiet complaints of other people in our group. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> but by the end, even people who never play video games don't, do not care for the play horror genre that much, or at least not like sort of the supernatural aspect of it, still came away from it having just the best time. Yeah. So, it was really fun. And the employees were super nice. They were like, do not go outside <laughs> of this square or I will laugh at you. Like You will run into a wall and fun. I will laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hit a wall and I will laugh. Yeah. At one, when they hand you your guns, the first thing they do is shoot you with it before they hand it to you. And I was like, this must be the most fun part of your job. And she was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a really fun experience. I'm so glad you had a good time. It was so fun. Yeah, yeah, I want to do it again. There's a pirate one, so I want to go back and do the pirate yeah. one. Yeah, I, I think you're fighting like skeletons, but you have a sword. So there's like you have a musket and a sword. It so. was so great though, because even like little things, like when a helicopter came down for you, like it got all like windy in the room. Uh huh. Uh huh. Which we were hot at that point, so we were like, "Yes, fan." <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome let's get into our reviews now ariel you were the programmer for this very unique episode <laughs> what are we watching and tell me about your thinking around this all right so today we are going to be watching psycho 3 and exorcist 3 so <laughs> i know that that seems super random because i don't think we reviewed the first two movies from either of these series no Nope. None of them. <laughs> Literally none of them. <laughs> but okay, I feel like at least Psycho and The Exorcist, the first ones, everybody's already seen. We're on the yeah. same page there. Yeah. So the reason I did this is we it stemmed from a conversation that Rachel and I had a while back where I while we were talking, I realized that there were a bunch of franchises and series that I just had never watched the third one in for some reason oftentimes because the second one wasn't very good or because mm. i had heard bad things about it or whatever and i just skipped over it like halloween 3 i didn't watch for years and years and years until we started this podcast and rachel insisted that i had to watch it you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you um, <laughs> so i decided that i wanted to give these ones a shot and see what they were like and make you guys do it with me <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was excited because I hadn't seen Exorcist 3 in like a million years, and but I remember it being good. So yeah. I, Psycho 3, I was kind of like, they're here. <laughs> 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 but this, I think these are going to both end up being really fun ones to talk about. So as strange as I the setup so. is, I think the conversations will be good because they are very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that is true. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, Psycho 3, I never got around to. I had watched the second one, but I was 
I had planned to watch the entire series, even the made for TV movie, but I never got around to it because after I watched Psycho 2, that remake came out, the shot for shot, terrible remake. And I was like, I'm done. Never more. I'm only the first one exists. Like I'm not doing this anymore. And I just never got around to watching three. And with the exorcist, I watched the second one and thought it was awful. And so, and the third one, at least at the time, didn't have good reviews. And so Mm. just Mm -hmm. like, eh, I'm not going to waste my time. But I'm glad we did for this one. This will be interesting. All right. Awesome. So, Ariel, we're going to start with Psycho 3. Um, We're just going to do these chronologically. This one came out in 1986. I figure let's go with this one first. You have the background for this one. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Psycho 3? I do. All right. So, Psycho 3 was released in 1986, like you said, and it was directed by Anthony Perkins. So everybody probably knows him (laughs) because he played Norman Bates in the first Psycho. You know, he was a very successful actor in movies, TV, and on Broadway. And other than Norman Bates, he's probably best known, or at least to me, he's best known for his role in The Trial and Murder on the Orient Express. Those are two of my favorites that he's done. Also, The Black Hole. Black Hole. (laughs) That's right. Yes. (laughs) Of course. Of course. So before I get into what went into the making of Psycho 3, I just want to touch really quickly on Perkins' personal life a little bit, just because I think it's important for film history and, you know, how you're thinking about the movies, too. So Perkins himself was actually a gay man living in a time when obviously homosexuality was criminalized and stigmatized. So he kept that part of his life completely secret. He was forced to live a double life. He was terrified that if anybody found out, he'd never work again. In the 50s, he had a secret long-term relationship with actor Tab Hunter, who was in a very public fake relationship with Natalie Wood at the time. In his memoir, Tab Hunter said that he would go out and be photographed with Natalie Wood, and then she would sneak off to go see another actor, and he would go on dates with Perkins in secret. So at the start of his career, Perkins was playing romantic leads, but his sexuality started to be questioned by fans and gossip columns. And this was during the studio system time period, and Perkins was under contract with Paramount. So in an attempt to kind of quell the rumors, they started putting him, for some reason, in teen romance movies and dramatic pot boilers because they thought maybe that would work. The really sad thing is that when Perkins was 39, he talked about how he wasn't getting satisfaction out of the sexual relationships he was having with men. And so he went through intensive psychotherapy and then began having relationships with women. Yeah. We would call that gay conversion therapy at this point or therapy in quotation marks. Gay conversion torture is actually exactly correct. Yes, not yes. Uh, strongly uh, recommended against by the American Psychiatric Association and any other mental health association. Yep, exactly. Or anyone with an ounce of fucking empathy or humanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, he he did that and then and went through that and then two years later he married his wife Barry Berenson. They ended up having two kids together, including horror director Oz Perkins, who everybody probably knows as the director of Gretel and Hansel, among others, like Black Coat's Daughter. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's an incredible filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And supposedly they had actually a very good partnership and a very loving relationship. They remained married until Perkins died of AIDS-related pneumonia in 1992. Sadly, he even kept his diagnosis a secret because it would he was afraid that he would lose his ability to work because he worked as an actor up until his death. And of course it would have, so yeah. You know. Yeah, oh god, yeah. yes. Yeah. 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 If you have not watched 
Queer for Fear yet, the yeah. documentary series on H- or are you going to talk about this? Because I'll stop. No, 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 go ahead. You can go oh, ahead. Um, on Shudder, there is a prolonged portion. Actually, I think you can mm-hmm. actually just watch the section on YouTube, although I would highly recommend the entire series. It's amazing. Um, really but good. there, Oz Perkins is one of the people that they speak to, and he has a he. They spend time talking about Anthony Perkins and Psycho, but also about like his life growing up and his parents' relationship and their mm-hmm. partnership, and like how much he wishes his father could have. As much as yeah. their partnership was beautiful, how he wishes his father could have been himself completely. All those yeah. kinds of things. It's an incredibly moving portion of an incredible documentary series the documentary so. is absolutely amazing and that part is particularly good i think it's in the second episode that mm-hmm. you get that yep yeah yep absolutely recommend all right so on to the making of psycho 3 so for years anthony perkins got offers to star in a psycho sequel but he had said no because he didn't want to revisit that role but by the late 70s acting jobs were drying up for him so he agreed to be in psycho 2 So despite Psycho 2 doing well at the box office and Perkin was praised for his performance, he had zero interest in playing Norman Bates again. And so when Universal first asked him to be in a third film, he turned them down. They probably could have gotten away with recasting Norman Bates in Psycho 2 because so much of time had passed between the first one was like 23 years. But they didn't feel like they could do that for this one because Anthony Perkins had reprised that role in the second one. So fun yeah. fact, apparently they considered Christopher Walken to be Norman Bates in Psycho 2. Would have been a very different movie, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Perkins had actually been wanting to direct for a while. So he told Universal that he would take the role back over if he could direct the film. And he even said that he would only take his acting pay for the movie, which he did. So they jumped on the deal. They were like, hell yeah, two for the price of one, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. The screenplay was actually written by Charles Edward Pogue, whose name might sound familiar because he also wrote the script for Cronenberg's The Fly. Yeah. Oh, shit. So Perkins wanted to take this film in a different direction than the second one and the first one and was inspired actually by the Coen Brothers film Blood Simple. That was their directorial Mm. debut. Mm -hmm. And it's a very kind of noir crime story. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that, actually. Yeah, I think. Now that you say it. Yeah, once we talk about it, we can we can talk about the specific things that he tried to do. But I do think that you can see it once you know that was his inspiration. So he even screened the film for the cast and crew and hired the composer for Blood Simple, Carter Burrell, to do the score. Wow. The score is pretty great in this, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's definitely very unique compared to the second one. So Carter Burrell made a few songs and Universal was looking for something very specific. They wanted to be able to make music videos to go along with the movie because at the time that was a really good way to advertise was to get a music video for your movie onto MTV. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, Universal claimed that his songs weren't sufficiently bankable. So, Rachel, you'll be interested in this. He attempted to create a song with Oingo Boingo frontman and then burgeoning film composer Danny Elfman, (laughs) who was fresh off of Huey's Big Adventure. Holy shit! That's crazy. <laughs> Just saw him in concert uh, a couple yeah, of months, like exactly. last month. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually put something together using sampled strings from the Bernard Herrmann score from the original Psycho, 
Sadly, though, Universal rejected this idea. Mm, that so is sad. Finally, I know. So finally, Universal agreed to let Burwell take a motif from the score he'd composed and develop it into an electronic pop song. They even made a music video featuring the composer, Anthony Perkins, and a Hitchcockian blonde. And eventually, Perkins even presented the video on MTV during a Halloween special as a guest VJ. Yeah. that's crazy <laughs> some footage we got the track down yeah. yeah yeah so according to burwell the studio also was pretty heavily involved in kind of mm, making changes to how perkins originally wanted the movie to be so he had wanted to come at it with a dark comedic eye because of his blood simple kind of influence but universal became concerned that traditional horror film audiences who were really used to the slasher movies of the mid to late 80s wouldn't get it so they asked him to quote add more blood which i think you get in this one yes 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 (laughs) so psycho 3 was released on july 2nd 1986 it grossed 14.4 million at the box office on a budget of 8.4 million sadly becoming the lowest grossing film in the series Perkins actually had plans for a fourth film, but those plans were scrapped when it turned out to be a flop. It received mostly mixed reviews from critics, although the New York Times praised Perkins' direction. Ebert gave it a thumbs up and thought it was better than Psycho 2, but Siskel gave it a thumbs down because he was turned off by all the blood. The studio had made him mad. That's yeah. always Siskel's beef. Shut up, Siskel. I know. Get out of here, <laughs> right? So annoying about Suck movies. it up, dude. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. So the week that Psycho 3 came out, um, four other movies came out at the same time, and it beat all of them at the box office, even though it was kind of a flop. It beat out The Great Mouse Detective, About Last huh. Night, Under the Cherry Moon, and Rachel's favorite, Big Trouble in Little China. it was later followed by a television prequel psycho 4 the beginning directed by mick garris and perkins does appear in it as norman bates sort of on either end and he's telling the story of like what happened before the first one and henry thomas plays young uh norman bates really yeah i remember the vhs cover that's what i remember about psycho 4 yeah, I can't. I couldn't find it. I wanted to watch it after I read about it, but I couldn't find a copy anywhere. So, and Olivia Hussey plays Norma Bates. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. That is some wild casting. Did you guys ever watch Bates Motel? Yes. No, the Didn't, the one with Lori no. Petty. No. Oh, the show with um, uh, Conjuring Woman. <laughs> what is oh, her? Life <laughs> is imitating that freaking meme I right mean. now. I saw I I saw the first three or four episodes and then just never got back to it oh it's so good because it's the Vera Farmiga show it was like the show that I always thought she was great you know whatever she was fine and then I watched that and now I'm like I like it made me obsessed with her she's so freaking good in it she is why you watch it Norman is there (laughs) (laughs) Vera Farmiga is what's up there yeah. <laughs> awesome. That was so interesting. I have one question. Is there any information about reshoots about the end of the movie? No, but I know that he had intended something maybe a little bit different. There's another part that he intended to do differently too that I'll talk about when we get into it because it's kind of because fun. Wig Cop would like oh. to report a felony. Wait, about so who? The- 
Where? Where? Maureen's wig in the fi- the, the the stairway scene. Oh yeah, oh, it I is. Even, I didn't even there notice is, that. There is a there is a troubling wig in that fight. Like it's been her, it's her hair throughout the whole film. And then all of a sudden I was like, what is that Furby on her head? Oh no, I don't know anything about reshoots well, uh, for that. I mean, I, I know she intended that like, scene cause it's an homage to the original, but. Cause she just yeah, like comes so back and then falls. And I'm like with a wig hmm. on her head. And I was like, this feels like a reshoot. Yeah. could have been, could have been. I didn't even notice. So I <laughs> don't, over I don't understand that. I don't understand that. <laughs> it, was, it was like cartoon hands coming from the sides of the screens. Like, look, look at this. Here it is. The wig. The wig. I don't know what to tell I, you, Rachel. I have tried. Okay. And unless it's like, it has to be so obvious and on the screen for a long time or I don't notice. All right. I'm going to get a screenshot because I can't, <laughs> I can't live in a world where you can't see this. <laughs> <laughs> but All anyway right. okay matilda you have the synopsis for this film would you mind laying that on us real quick sure so as ariel said this was filmed in 19 this was made in 1986 directed by anthony perkins it also in addition to anthony perkins stars diana scarwood jeff fahey and roberta maxwell a month after the events of psycho 2 norman bates still runs the bates motel while hiding a little secret up in the main house the motel gains two more residents, overprotective guitar owner and general sleazebag Dwayne Duke, <laughs> and a kind, uh-huh. naive woman named Maureen, who reminds Norman of someone from his past. <laughs> Meanwhile, a journalist is in town asking some very pointed questions about Norman for a piece on serial killers being released from custody. Beautiful, gentle Maureen gives Norman hope for the future, but can he keep his demons in check? <laughs> nope (laughs) for the record i have put the screenshot in the zombie girls discord chat i need oh oh no yeah Yeah, i can see it it still barely looks like a wig to me what are you talking (laughs) i can see the on the top of it i can see where it's been sitting on the bottom of a box for five years yes Oh, exactly. I see. Yeah. It does look a little matted. <laughs> look at the up there. sideburns. Look at it. Like, but people don't... have long sideburns like that. Do they attach to their head. head like that? No, they do not. If they do, I feel like I can Wait, see a blue her line in this about? photo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exact. Also, what human has this hair texture? This is like fun fur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the hair the hair texture really is is throwing throwing me off. Thank you. I would Thank not, you. but like I wouldn't have guessed it was a wig except for the texture of the hair. Textural crimes in the first degree. <laughs> you did you notice it in the moment? I noticed something different about her hair, uh-huh. but I figured it was it was part of like the psychosis that Norman was having. How he kept equating her to uh, mm. the um, Janet Lee character. Yeah, it would take psychosis to believe that that was actual human hair. Hey! <laughs> so rude. <laughs> Upon reflection, this wig looks not expensive. <laughs> it's a nice way to say that. <laughs> okay, I just I just needed that validated. Thank you. We can move forward now. Just, not only as a show, but as a species. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Uh, okay so now this was a first watch for you ariel what did you think of psycho actually you're so thorough let's not start with you 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have nothing right. left to say. <laughs> Matilda, was this a first watch for you? And if so, what did you think of this film? Uh, this was a first watch for me. And, um, you know, generally with sequels, I kind of are like, I don't tend to watch sequels because I'm like, let's quit while we're ahead. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Like, unless you are <laughs> breaking to Electric Boogaloo, this is not going to be as good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the gold standard, right? <laughs> that's the gold standard of sequels. Yes, you save the community center. It is not Godfather 2. It's Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. No, that's correct. It's breaking to. Um, but I thought this was fun in a kind of like very darkly funny, cheesy way that I enjoy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, movies of this era. Um, Anthony Perkins is fantastic in this. And although it definitely has the trappings of many 80s, it's very of its time. Like, I thought it was fun in the way that I was saying to Rachel last night, like, this is the maximum overdrive of the Psycho series. I felt like, like, <laughs> yes, I enjoyed yeah, it in the I same way. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I see that. So I had a good time. So, like, a lot, my main issues with it were things that were resolved as soon as I read anything about this, because I realized all this stuff, I was like, well, that felt like it was delivered very quickly in, like, an info dump at the end when you find out about his parentage or whatever. It turns out, if you watch the second film, oh, it's yeah. not that shocking. No, also, like, yeah, stuff the with the old lady, end. I'm like, I don't care yeah. about this. Who is this old lady? Oh, if you watch <laughs> the second film. <laughs> it matters, yeah. It matters. It all makes sense. Yeah, they, show you, they show you, like, a... a, a brief of what happened but it doesn't yeah. really tell you like why he hits this woman in the head with a shovel it's just he hits this woman in the head with a shovel hides her body and goes on right. and then everyone's like where is she she's not like her to not show up to work <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean because the, the second one's has a lot of twists in it like a lot of yeah. twists but the final twist is yeah this woman coming to norman bates's house telling him that she was actually his biological mother and then he immediately whacks her over the head with a shovel and, you know, does the same thing to her that he did with his original mother. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. But yes. So I also had a very surprisingly good time with this. I think I was set up for success by your description, Matilda. Last night you like, oh, told me. Yeah. You're like, it's the maximum overdrive. And I'm like, okay. Because I was like, I'm not going to lie. I was dreading this one a little bit because mm-hmm. I didn't. You know, I mean, it's Psycho 3. How good is it going to be? <laughs> right. Especially in comparison to the first one. You're like, These are yes. very diminishing returns here. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the first one is literally a masterpiece. Like, yeah. And and I mm-hmm. knew I was getting something schlocky. But there is good schlock and bad schlock. And I feel like this is both the good kind of schlock and also <laughs> in some regards better than it has any right to be. Yes. Like, I mm-hmm. think yeah. the performance. Norman Bates is the performance of Norman Bates of course is fantastic he's like weird and twitchy and and also like full of pathos and mm-hmm. continues to be a weirdly sympathetic character while he's still slicing and dicing those kinds of things elevate it above what I was expecting and then mm-hmm. it brings this like nuclear level of camp that is so <laughs> much fun with the ridiculous Jeff Fahey character and like that sex scene. What the fuck was that sex scene? <laughs> Can we scene? talk about that for a second? <laughs> Please okay. let's do. Please okay, so let's do. In the sex scene, you get this like half naked woman, but then you get Jeff Fahey with these doing this like lamp dance kind of thing while he's sitting in a chair. Yes. Yes. Which, with yes. lamps that he has decoupaged with porn. 
at some yeah. point. Ben was he was he could watch an entire home with like the entire yeah. room with, porn. with pornography. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but the thing about it is, and I can't tell whether this is like one hundred percent true because I couldn't find it in like multiple sources, but. I read that apparently Anthony Perkins had intended for Jeff Fahey to be nude in that scene, but Jeff Fahey did not want to be nude. And so he came up with this whole lamp thing and Anthony Perkins went along with it. That was him being naked. (laughs) I kind of feel like it's iconic though. I'm into the lamp dance. (laughs) (laughs) I will accept this lamp dance. Anytime an actor doesn't want to be nude from here on yes. out. <laughs> and that goes for ladies, but I need them to do it like Elvira Tassel style. With the <laughs> uh, but I mean, the Jeff Fahey character, I mean, I get that he's sort of like the worst version of what Norman Bates fears that he is if he gets a solitary, like, boner (laughs) but it's such a weird tonal shift between the two of them and that's what i mean like the camp factor is a million i mean he gets the line of the movie with like you could have been coming instead of going (laughs) what is this movie i mean even the opening scene with the like the darkest version of the song um the sound of music (laughs) like Right. Yeah, it opens uh, and you're just like, what the fuck movie am I watching here? Yeah, like, why are happening? we in a convent? Why is there why, yeah. why is there a nun trying to kill herself? Right. And then she's like she's like released into the middle of the desert. And it's like, wait, what? And then <laughs> like Yeah. This is just such an oddity that you cannot help but be compelled by it. You yeah. know? It is I had a much, much better time than I thought. What about you, Sarah? Oh, good. I'm so glad. It's got this weird... Have Have you ever read any of the uh, noir series, like Boston noir, uh, yeah. San Francisco noir, all mm-hmm. those? It, it, feels like, it feels like it could be a story in one of those about, like, the desert. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just that, that weirdness with the big game and all these guys, like... The forty-year-old, the forty-year-old high schoolers. Yeah, he tells, he tells him, he, you know, he tells him, you know, oh make God. sure you keep your door locked because there's lots of drunks running around here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's where it went maximum Ew. overdrive for me. Some of those guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, that one guy that would not stop, just like cackling and laughter. And then the yes. joke was not. It was not. It no, the payoff was baton. not there. Yeah, no, thank yeah. you. Like, nobody wants Goodbye. anything to do with your baton, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's like, some there's some really cool moments. Like I love the cop almost finding the body in the ice and then eating the that's bloody ice. That's one of ice. my favorite yeah. movies uh-huh. in the entire yeah. film. It's so good, and that feels kind of Conan Brothers esque to me too. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. Right, or her arms snapping when he's pulling yes the frozen arm mm-hmm. <laughs> also the shots of him trying to escape the underwater tangle of branches all of that Ooh, stuff yeah, like that was good i can't mm-hmm. believe that's in the same movie as as dick lamps you know what i mean yeah. like, right. <laughs> there is beautiful direction in this very strange campy film yeah yeah okay so what were the blood simple things you were talking about you alluded to their being yeah so the ice chest one is one of them but i also think the way this film is lit 
is very much taking after a blood symbol, the reds and greens especially, mm-hmm. because it's used frequently throughout the entire runtime of the film. And so I think that had a lot to do with it, why he, right. he, why he went that way, you know? It's been about 20 years since I've seen Blood Simple, so I can't really yeah. agree or disagree with that. Ariel, how about you, Ariel? What did you think of this? Yeah, so I didn't know what to expect going into this. You know, Psycho 2 is such a different film than the first one where... Because mm-hmm. Anthony Perkins, until he hits his mother over the head with the shovel in the last five minutes of the movie, does not kill a single person in the whole film. Everybody else is murdering up a storm, but he's not. <laughs> um, really? No, it's, yeah. no oh, it's all about him sure. being it's... like rehabilitated, coming out of the, um, you know, the psychiatric hospital and being rehabilitated and not wanting to kill again. And he's doing, you know, he's having a hard time, but he's actually doing really well. And he becomes friends with Meg Tilly. And it's, you know, it's actually... yeah. A pretty loving depiction of Norman Bates, but then you know everybody fucks it up for him. So Aww, yeah, and Norman. and and basically he's being stalked by um, Marion Crane's sister. Yeah, Lila Crane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then Meg Tilly turns out to be her daughter, and they're gaslighting yeah. Norman Bates and dressing up like his mother mm-hmm. and calling him and pretending to be his mother to drive him back because they want him back in the hospital because they're afraid he's going to kill somebody again but then and and the thing and the thing is is that's that's more lila than than the daughters the daughters like he served his time he's yeah she ends up loving things ever happened like Mm -hmm. yeah and it's actually a very sweet movie in some parts of it which is kind of odd to say and so i didn't know what to expect coming into this one because that movie was so drastically different from the first one but I actually like the direction this one went in. I mean, look, nothing's going to be as good as that original film, and it holds such a special place in my heart. But I love seeing Anthony Perkins playing Norman Bates. And I actually think that he did a good job directing. I think there's a lot of interesting lighting techniques and camera angles and choices that he made. And it's for me, it's very sad that he only directed one other film and didn't get to have a long career and didn't live long enough you know, to have that. But yeah, I just think like this movie has so much sort of empathy and pathos around the Norman Bates character, but it's also so wacky and odd yeah. in other ways <laughs> that it's totally entertaining. There are like a plethora of references to the original. And I think for me, some of them worked really, really well and others of, of them didn't work so well. There are lines of dialogue in here that are just like repeats of what he said in the original one, you know, mm-hmm. um, that we all go a little mad sometimes, 12 mm-hmm. rooms, 12 vacancies, the oh mother, blood, blood, like those are all from the original. And I think they were a little bit like <laughs> too on the nose and didn't quite fit. But the visual stuff that happened, I thought was really fun. For instance, when he goes into the diner and uh, Maureen is first coming in there, and you see Norman flash back to Marion Crane's death on the bathroom floor. And then it switches to Maureen at the diner and her head is sort of at the same angle. So he's picturing her in the same way and it switches to color. And then you get a record scratch sound effect to it when you yes. realize it really is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was something about that that I thought was a fun way to incorporate. Instead of just showing like him having flashbacks to the original movie as exposition dumps, it was fun to have them do it that way. 
there's also so in the original um the character who plays the detective he's arbogast he dies by falling down the stairs in a very specific way that was like a revolutionary camera technique that alfred hitchcock invented but here you see maureen falling down that way only this time it's an accident a total accident norman bates did not mean to kill her that way so i thought Uh that was fun i just think sometimes it went a little too far like when he's in the back of the cop car at the end of the movie, it's lit exactly the same way as he's lit in the expressions on his face at the end of the original. It gets a little silly because then he has like his fake mother's hand in his lap. And he's, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And so yeah. it takes something that's like, you know, eerie and a little uncomfortable and is a reference to the original and then just like goes schlocky over the top 80s with it. So it's kind uh-huh. of fun, but it's also silly. I don't know. It's it's interesting that way, you know, it's like or they do a, another scene in that bathroom, but instead or in a bathroom and you think that it's going to be a reference to Marion Crane's death in the bathroom. And it sort of is, but it's Maureen who has, has been attempting to take her own life in the bathtub. And then she sees Norman Bates as the Virgin Mary. Like she gets flashes of, it's just so interesting. The choices yeah. that were made, like some of them I think work really, really well. And then others of them, you know, not so much. I also just think it's fun how much blood there is in this movie. I mean, it's an interesting contrast to the original, which was completely bloodless almost. I mean, there is blood, but you never see the knife like penetrate anybody, right? That was the whole thing about the way it was edited and shot. And here, I mean, holy hell, that first death with turtleneck girl trying to get redressed in the uh, phone booths, you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. very, very bloody. Or when he slices that woman's throat open on the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so bloody. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. I don't think, even though, I mean, I guess the second one, I don't know if you remember that, Sarah. I think Lila Crane dies with a knife through her face, like right I through think, her mouth. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think I remember it. So that one definitely went further. But I think this one is schlockier and like more blood splatters everywhere. I don't know. I thought this was way more fun than I expected and better than it had any right to be. And again, it just makes me sad we don't get more of Anthony Perkins' direction because I think that's interesting. Oh, one last thing, and then I'll shut up. I love the character. Of, <laughs> I love the character of Tracy Venable, the reporter who's trying to investigate Norman Bates because she wants to write an article about serial killers who have gotten out of jail. I feel like, I don't know if you agree with me on this, that she's sort of almost like a proto-Gail Weathers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. She doesn't have quite as many good quippy lines, but she does have this one where she's in the bar and the Jeff Fahey character is trying to hit on her and she's sort of having none of it. And she says, you know, you really shouldn't rely so much on that pretty face and those pearly whites because come-ons like that could get them both punched out. That's <laughs> a great line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish there was actually more of her. This I feel like this right? movie could they they she pops in and out and she plays such a pivotal role in the final thing. It's strange to have yeah the Maureen character kind of she just sort of shows up in a bad wig and dies. And then right. <laughs> and then, you know, the reporter comes in and really kind of closes out the show. But like she's only been interspersed throughout it. Like I don't think there was enough of her there to earn her to be the sort of final girl in this i wish there had been more yeah of i think that. we could have had more mm-hmm. scenes of her with jeff fahey maybe or just snooping around like maybe she gets into the psycho house or something but i agree what did you guys think of the fact that norman bates 
actually gets to kiss a woman in this one and goes on a date. I mean, it's interesting. It's something that definitely gets explored in Bates Motel. Um, mm. I, I'm not, but I'm also, I feel like your opinion is the one I'm most interested in as like the super fan of. <laughs> well, I just think it's interesting that they're kind of, you know, pushing it that way because in the original, I think, you know, it's made pretty clear that his mother you know, thinks all women are sluts basically and doesn't want Norman to have anything to do with them and doesn't want him to have a sex life. And so you're left thinking like he probably never has had sex or been out on dates with women. And so I think it's interesting here that now that like basically both of his supposed mothers are dead, he's exploring that a little bit. I don't know. I feel like I feel like Anthony Perkins has lived in this character for so long that he plays it so well that I bought into it. And I think the fact that he still can't go through with it, that he still has his mom's voice in his head is interesting. Yeah. I mean, he runs out of there so fast he leaves the door open, you know? Yeah. Bless I don't know. It's sad. <laughs> it's very sad. He is very sad. Yeah. Well, when you said about the Virgin Mary scene, uh, he was dressed as his mom and that's yeah. what she, he, yeah. So she sees, she sees, him dressed as his mom as the Virgin Mary, which was kind of interesting, mm -hmm. kind of an interesting take on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that does <laughs> say a lot about the way the mom viewed herself, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, because in the, in the fourth one in his past, he talks it, like, you know, him and his, his father died early or ran off or whatever. And, and then uh, it was him and his mom. And then like, right about the time he hits puberty they're kind of horse playing around like they always did and he gets a boner and she's just like oh you you know you're dirty you're filthy you're you know gotcha. and then he gets caught with a girl in his room and, and it's like oh she's just the slut and, that, mm -hmm. and that's where like all of that starts to starts to stem from gotcha yeah i mean i don't know i think it's interesting i think the one sort of failing around the mother character in this third film and it's not a fault of the movie because you can't come back from this after the first one is that we know it's Norman dressed up as, as his mom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That he's in a fugue state and that he's dressed up as his mother. Where in the first one, until you know that ending, until you get to that part, there's a mystery over is his mom actually killing? Who is the person who's doing the murder? And, and, you know, Norman has to clean up after his mom. Once you lose that mystery, I think you lose some of the tension. But honestly, this movie does not feel like it's all that interested in tension, except maybe for that scene where he has lost his mother's body and Jeff Fahey has, you know, kidnapped her because you get a long mm -hmm. shot of him like walking down the stairs and then walking in front of the motel before he gets there and the worried look on his face but I think other than that there's not a whole lot of like tension or suspense where the first one is all about tension suspense and mystery you know this one just mm -hmm. is doing other things yeah 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 all right well I say we wrap up our review of this because we have a whole other movie to get into Ariel as the resident super fan would you recommend Psycho 3 I think it is an interesting artifact and interesting to watch Anthony Perkins direct. So I would give it a try. Just don't expect it to be the masterpiece that the first one is. Okay. I think that's fair. How about you, Sarah? Would you recommend? Yes. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Matilda, would you recommend? I would. This one uh, stands up to break in two. So yes, I would recommend. <laughs> <laughs> On the break in two scale. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I would surprisingly i would also recommend this especially to people who have like a, an appreciation for like cinematic oddity 
I yeah, think this one is an underseen weirdo that deserves to get a second get a second look. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Speaking of films that were perhaps not appreciated in the time that they were originally released, but we shall see if that is changing today. We are going to be talking about The Exorcist 3 from 1990. Now, Sarah, you have the background for this one. Tell me about The Exorcist 3. Okay, so this was written by uh, William Peter Blatty. It was also directed by him because he wrote the original Exorcist novel. He wrote the screenplay for The Exorcist. And while working on that, or like shortly after, him and William Freakin, the director of The Exorcist, had actually come up with this kind of idea for for a sequel. But the studio decided to go with the sequel uh, we now know as Exorcist II The Heretic, which is the further adventures of, of Regan. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <again>. Yes. <laughs> so Blatty had this uh, screenplay kicking around and he was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a novel. He turned it into a novel called Legion. Well, it was published in 83. Shortly thereafter, it was picked up by Morgan Creek Studio. Blatty kind of kind of shopped around to, to some directors, but him and Freakin had some differences and him, him and John and supposedly he offered it to John Carpenter but Carpenter was like, no, you're, this is like your baby. You should totally do this. And so Blatty ended up directing it and he did it his way. And Morgan Creek, they wanted to build this as an exorcist movie, not as a movie called Legion. This movie came out in 1990. So Blatty's original vision was a little bit shorter and it did not contain any kind of exorcist at all. It also didn't contain Nicole Williamson or Jason Miller in it. Wait, who did Jason Miller play? Jason Miller wasn't in it. There was no, there was oh, the Gemini oh, okay. killer and that that was it. He did take over uh, Father Karras' body, but there was no exorcism. Mm, okay. And I'm really kind of glad that the like, there's a deleted scene that's popped up that has like a sort of an epilogue. Oh. Where Miller's body ends up at the morgue and they're like, no, no, he's dead. And then as like everybody's kind of dissipating, his heart starts, the little like brain uh, thing that they have on him starts to like show activity. Then the movie starts. But so the original screening of this was given really poor reviews and stuff. And so the uh, studio insisted that an exorcism be added, insisted that some gore be added that's when Nicole Williamson came in and that's when uh, Jason Miller's exorcism was, was shot. And technically this one was more of a success than uh, heretic because it had an $11 million budget. They filmed for eight weeks in Georgetown. Yeah. And it was about four months later when uh, Morgan Creek decided that uh, Laddie needed to, to put in all this extra stuff. And 20th Century Fox actually put up an additional $4 million in post-production for the exorcism. And, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense for so, the type of special effects they use in that scene. That would be expensive. Yeah. Awesome. Rad. Rad. Can Very I cool. ask you, do you know if any of the people <laughs> that show up in the dream sequence were added by the studio or if that was Blatty's original idea? I think that was Blatty's original idea. Interesting. Um, yeah, I was actually really shocked to see uh, C. Everett Coop in it. Yeah, and I Fabio. Mean, yeah. Oh my God, well, the yeah. Fabio of it all. I freaking <laughs> yeah. died. Fabio, I was like, Pat- shut up. Fabio, Patrick Ewing, uh, a young Samuel L. Jackson, yes. whose lines uh-huh. are overdubbed. Uh, 
Yeah, it was Larry definitely King. interesting. <laughs> right. And one thing also that was cut out, which you may have picked up on and gone, huh, what? Was that the original ending had the Gemini killer basically, like, he finds out his father, who's a fundamental preacher, what? has died. Okay. And he has a heart attack and dies because there's that one line that, that Brad Dorff drops where he says, you know, it's all about the father. Oh. Jim and I had grown up, you know, with an alcoholic fundamentalist preacher of a dad. And so he completely went the opposite way and was killing to basically spite his father. Huh. So does that mean that George C. Scott wouldn't have shot him in the original ending that Vladdy intended? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I gotta say, I think I like the shooting better. It's really bleak. Yeah, I think I do too. Mm -hmm. That one line when when he dropped it, I was like, "What does that father? Mean? What, what? Wait, does he yeah. mean? Does he mean it's about God? Is he calling Satan his father? What's like what? And no, it, he's actually referring to an oh, actual father. Okay, interesting. I didn't catch on to that. Yeah, and Brad Dourif actually says that uh, his quote was, "The original version was a lot purer, and I liked it much more." As it stands now, it's a mediocre film. There are parts that have no right to be there. Damn. <laughs> That's a takedown. And, it, and apparently, and it, well, apparently Jason Miller was so deep in his alcoholism oh. that he was, he like couldn't remember any kind of lines or like he had a really hard time getting through his scenes. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Mm, that is. Oh. Yeah. And I actually think he's pretty good in that. Yeah, yeah, he's actually pretty good in this. And Brad Dorf is amazing in Brad this. Brad Dorf is amazing, so and and uh, what's his name? William C. Scott. George, George, George C. Scott. George, George, Scott. Thank you. Sorry, George. C. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it in. George C. Scott is also spectacular. He really is. Yeah, I oh, love yeah. George C. Scott, and um, mm -hmm. after something that I saw him do in, in in public, I am an even even bigger fan of him. Tell us, oh. tell us something yeah, nice about see? someone. Yeah. Yes. So I, I've told this story before about why I, I don't like Bill Murray. Yes. And mm -hmm. the, the story is, is that one year during the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, there was a little girl who had a football. And the first day that was there, like Dan Quayle was there and all these like, you know, big, big celebrities. But like, you know, once they once they don't make the, the you know, top 20 cut, they all mm -hmm. leave. Right. Because, yeah. you know, they're there for the they're there for the weekend to party. They golf on Monday and Tuesday. They go home. So, like, she got all these all these autographs and stuff. And on the second day, well, first of all, she asked George C. Scott for his autograph. And he's like, oh, here, sweetie. You know, and he's actually the one that took her around to, like, her and her dad to all the, like, oh private God. areas to get these people's autograph, right? Oh, what a class so, act. So the next day, she goes up and asks Bill Murray for his autograph. And he's like, mm -hmm. sure. And he signs it. And he goes like he's going to toss it to her and then just chucks it off a cliff into the bay. <gasps> what an and, asshole. And she's just beside herself, right? And, like, supposedly George C. Scott actually had to be held back from, like, knocking his teeth in. <laughs> I but, bet. Uh, Amazing. But he actually went around personally after the tournament and contacted people to make to get all of the autographs that she had got oh. with the exception of bill murray's wow and personally gave her the football oh, oh amazing see, that's so cool that's a, a great story well that's good because like i always you know like he is a 
white gentleman of a certain age. So like I yeah, am yeah. always a little nervous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so hearing that story is great and like it reaffirms my love of him in this movie. Uh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well obviously I'm tipping my hand a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into the review, Matilda, what is the synopsis for this movie? Right. So this movie, like we said, it's from 1990. And um, I wrote this kind of for people who have not seen number two also. So just take that as we're talking about this. So 17 years after Regan McNeil's exorcism, Lieutenant Kinderman investigates a series of murders that appear to be tied to the Gemini killer. One problem, the Gemini killer was executed 15 years before. With unexpected help from his deceased friend, Father Damien Karras, Lieutenant Kinderman must grapple with his own beliefs to find the source of these crimes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, (laughs) like you said, George C. Scott, Ed Flanders, Brad Dourif, Jason Miller, and my personal favorite, to tip my hand, Ah! Nancy Fish. This movie for me is Nancy Fish. She really See, did. I thought for sure you were going to talk about Scott Wilson and how much you loved his character on The Walking Dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, you are the, if there was a, a haters of Herschel fan club, you would be the president, vice president, <laughs> treasurer, <laughs> and secretary. <laughs> <laughs> so when he showed up, I started giggling. I was like, oh, <laughs> going to have some feelings. <laughs> oh yeah, God, it, he doesn't it, even it smoke a- right. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, my favorite scene is when he's like rehearsing what he's gonna tell when he's gonna tell yeah. the lieutenant. Yes. <laughs> okay, you I was see, still uh, pretty small in nineteen ninety, but were people really smoking in hospitals at that point? That can't be a little bit in well, psychiatric oh, hospitals might be a little different also oh, okay. because that's yeah. true. That's and a good point. patients smoke a lot. Smoke a lot. Yeah. 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 I didn't know that. I forgot good point yeah so yeah i mean i i think 1990 was when the pushing to like ban smoking in public places started yeah Yeah. because i i still remember going into into places even here in california like in 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 college and stuff and like people were still smoking you still had the smoking the separate smoking section at the caros you still had you know for sure so also this uh Psychiatric hospital seems to be a little loose given what his office looks like. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of boobs. Yeah. A lot of boobs. Yeah. For a, <laughs> a doctor, the head doctor. Like rule yeah, one is weird. you have like not evocative art in your office. And so that was. Oh, because you don't want anybody to have a strong reaction to your artwork? Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, he did not follow that rule, clearly. Right. Like, I have to worry about how loud my carpet is, and this dude is just wall to wall. He he and the guy from Psycho 3 were decoupaging that office, clearly, together. Yeah. I mean, that was the unexpected connected connection between the two. (laughs) Yeah. So let's get into our review. Let's start with you this time, Sarah. What did you think of The Exorcist 3, and was this the first watch for you? I remember seeing it a long, long time ago. Uh-huh. And of course, you know, that, that infamous jump scare. Yeah. That, that <laughs> is like one of probably one of the most iconic scenes in horror, even though surprisingly, a lot of people don't know where it comes from. Because mm-hmm. somebody posted it the other day on a Facebook group and everybody kept going, I don't remember that scene in Halloween too. <laughs> <laughs> this was amazing. 
this was this was really good and even even with like nicole williamson being thrown in there which i mean he's an icon he's batshit bit batshit as a person and like if you if you're about the same age as, as us you probably watched his version of hamlet in high school but yeah it was good it was really good and i am really bummed that this doesn't get as much love as it should yeah i do think i agree with you this is like an underseen or underappreciated gem because it's i think because it's such a diversion though it's so different than what came before it like it has a little bit of a halloween three itis where people are are pissed off that it's not the formula they expected but enough Mm -hmm. time has passed i think given a chance there's a lot of good stuff here how about how about you uh matilda what did you think of exorcist three so i loved this one i had not watched it before and the george c scott monologuing (laughs) especially (laughs) i mean one the the dialogue in this is great like the little banter between him and the priest early on and then later Mm -hmm. when we get into the speech i mean i feel like we just rewatched this and so now i feel like every time we're cooking this week we're gonna be like i believe in pestilence and filth you know Um, (laughs) (laughs) i feel like this is gonna be a a theme. I just love the story with the with the fish in the bathtub. The carp, the freaking yeah, the carp. carp. He's, he's, he's like, you're this close to me. I haven't showered in three days. <laughs> oh my gosh! And the mother-in-law, I see that just carp. Like I'm gonna kill it. Casual hostility of the mother-in-law, right? Just all yeah. of it. Um, <laughs> all of it is so good. And like I said, the um, the long hallway shot is just incredible. Yeah. Well. All of the shots in the hospital, like the hospital feels like this massive winding thing of knots and so claustrophobic at the same time, like just this tiny space also. Right. And the use in the score, like there's a lot of silence when he's interviewing people in the hospital, Mm -hmm. when he's interviewing the radio lady. Yeah. And it's so effective that I feel like older movies, like by this point in 1990, movies weren't using that much silence anymore. Like that way it is, it does feel like the original to me and the use of silence in those little moments that I really liked. Um, The dream sequences are just wild and great. Mm -hmm. The statue horror of it all. (laughs) Yeah. And 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 just the climax is incredible. Like when the floor opens and it, it could have gone too far into kind of like theater actor territory. And I don't feel like it did. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. so i had a great time with this one and when when she's crawling up the wall and across the ceiling and there's that one oh, patient yeah. that's laying on the couch just watching like oh shit yeah i mean it's an interesting film i don't think that there's anybody under 45 other than his daughter in the entire thing you yeah know? it's an interesting cast you did catch the joke right though when uh he goes with um when they're at the bar, and he says, "What's your favorite movie?" And the guy replies, well, "No." At the beginning, uh, when uh, Father Dyer is saying he's going to go watch Wonderful Life, and he asks the other priest, "What's your favorite movie?" and he he says, "The Fly." Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't know. I didn't get it at the time, but now I totally get it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um. There's also there's a spaceballs joke in this movie. Wait, yes. Really? Where? Yes. He yeah. says, 
may the Schwartz be with you at one point. Right. It's like one of the last thing the priest says. And then there's a child's play in joke where where Brad Dorif makes a joke about child's play. Call that's something so child's cool. play. And that was yeah. came out three years uh prior right, to Right, that's right. So yeah. I mean there's this it's a very tongue-in-cheek film, which is interesting because it's like there is some very weighty, meaty monologues in this as well. And you know, George C. Scott just brings so much gravitas to this, but he is actually delivering pretty funny lines throughout it. He is, dude. Yeah. It, like or like when he when the priest is in the hospital and he's reading and he's 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 like, what? You're not reading the scriptures or the gospel, and he's like, what's wrong with I'm read with what I'm reading? He's like, you're reading Women's Day. He's like, well, how else am I supposed to keep up on the fashions? <laughs> I don't have the fashion answer is so good. <laughs> it's so good in a very short amount of time. It's very economical and showing yeah. the relationship that he has with Father Dyer, yeah. so that when Father Dyer dies, you're like, damn it, yeah. really? Because I want the way more he dies. Yeah. yeah, the way he dies. Just like the when scissors, Red Dwarf yeah. is, is talking about about how like meticulous you have to be to like not spill a drop and yeah, that's a good <sighs> speech. And when he talks yeah. about like cutting off the head and how it can still see for twenty minutes or, or twenty seconds, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And, and then so he likes to show his body. victim. Yes, yeah. it's so creepy. It's so good. Yeah, this has a lot of like good. T- there's like a lot of good two-hander scenes in this, yes. like where you mm-hmm. have yep. just two actors yeah. chewing up the scenery. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think that the floor disappearing was in the script. I think they ate it. I think they <laughs> ate it and then they rolled with it because they chewed the scenery up in this. Um, yeah. I joke that the statue budget must have like the statue horror in this <laughs> is so much fun. We have like crying blood. We have that weird like Joker-esque statue. We have yeah. Jesus headless opening his one. eyes. The mm-hmm. headless ones. It's such it's I don't know. It's a strange odd choice but it it adds to this like sense of uncanny and camp i don't know this there's a lot of things to really love about this and i think the the shears are horrifying and used oh my god they're so scary yeah the scene where the grandmother when the grandma pulls her head daughter away oh my god it's so so effective it is incredibly effective this is a solid sequel. It is a solid standalone. I mean, I think you need to yeah. have seen the first one to appreciate who Father Karras is. But if you were to extract Father Karras from this film, it would still be an incredibly solid story all on its own. I all honestly can't believe that I had never seen this movie before. I can't believe that that hallway scene with like the best jump scare I've probably ever experienced it existed in this movie and nobody just like forced me to watch this that I went 30 years. You're not easy to movie. make watch things, Ariel. <laughs> you are very challenging to make watch things. Fair enough. Fair enough. But this movie is so, so good. The combination of like possession story and serial killer investigation is so good. Yeah. It's so perfect for me. I do not understand how when this movie came out, it was panned by critics. It doesn't make sense to me because it is so good and so tense and scary. And the acting like we all keep talking about is so phenomenal that I don't understand. Like George C. Scott and Brad Dorf both should have won awards for the roles in this movie because yeah. their acting mm-hmm. is so good. And I mean, it's like that speech when George C. Scott is describing the Gemini killer to the other people at the hospital 
when he's mm-hmm. talking about how horrifying and upsetting the things that he was seeing is and like what happened and the differences between what the you know newspapers reported and and what actually happened I was riveted to my screen like he's so yeah. good in this I just yeah it's kind of unbelievable I don't understand why people aren't raving about this movie all the time because it's or just- when he's <laughs> yelling about how it's not in the file yeah exactly uh-huh. also people what are dying left wearing? and what right in this hospital in? yeah <laughs> people are dying left and right in this hospital and yet everybody is screaming at poor George Scott for just doing his job like he's trying yeah. to stop all these murders and everybody's like get out of my hospital shut up like what is happening <laughs> and then and then the red herring with the nurse yes yeah. oh my mm. gosh but I actually saw a YouTube video comparing this saying that this and seven were like two I can two different sides of that. the same coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because where, where this one's really quiet and tense, like the score in seven's really loud. There's big yeah. scares. There's, you know, but they're, they're very much like of the same sort of. Yeah. Yeah. World, same, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And the investigation and the type of serial killer and stuff. It, yeah, mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. I just love too that. George C. Scott is like, he's this older guy, like you were saying, Rachel, but he's also the smartest person in the room, you know, at all mm-hmm. times. He feels so capable. And the sassiest. Yeah, exactly. He's got <laughs> yeah. such great lines. The rapport between him and Father Dyer is just like lovely and heartwarming and so sweet and funny. I love that so much. I love that they go to see It's a Wonderful Life every year together. How sweet is that? Yeah. I mean, I wish he had lived a little longer, but his death was so impactful that I also, you know. I get it. And the kills in this movie are, yeah. ooh, man, they're they're affecting. Like when that priest dies in the early scene in the confessional, like the yeah. absolute terror on his face when he realizes he's sitting across from him is palpable. It's You can feel his fear and it's just, mm-hmm. it's shot so well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> There's a little, like a little moment of it's a subtle thing, but I just think it like said so much about the characters, but we both see father Dyer and um, George C. thought like talk about how they're taking their friend to take care of them on this day that they get sad on this yeah. day. And they, yeah. they have the same exact story, but it's like, it just speaks to this, like the sweetness of that friendship the way they're yeah. taking care of each other, but also not admitting that they're the ones being taken care of in that yep. moment. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a tender, sweet moment that I did not expect in this film and enriches it. I think these like little character beats really enrich it because it is ultimately a character piece, you know, like there's supernatural yeah. stuff and there's kills and stuff, but like it, it is the weight of the film lies on the fact that you invest in these characters. And I, I was thinking about Pearl this year had like a climax that was just like a monologue and how mm-hmm, odd mm-hmm. that felt. So to see That's this true. again, I was like, Oh, this is actually not a first time this has happened. This is oh, a story yeah. kind of thing. And you can hinge a horror climax on someone who just is eating up the scenery with an incredible monologue. It can be just as powerful as some bombastic, over-the-top, ridiculous kind of special effects kind of thing. Like sometimes that feels cheap and it's a kind of a letdown. And you can you can hit so hard with the right speech and the right actor giving the right performance that you don't need you don't need it. No, that, and you get that's to, enough. You get so much out of his sort of struggle with the heartache of the whole situation and him kind of losing his faith both in religion and even in law and being a cop you know 
it's it's a beautiful performance in a film that also has a scene where a priest ends up on the ceiling getting his skin ripped off, you know? <laughs> oh my god, the yeah. skin ripping off was so rad. If this movie has it all, yeah. if you have not watched Exorcist 3, this is what, what you, you need to do today. Life? Don't be like this... me. <laughs> Watch it. I think yeah, I mean it's easily easy to get your hands on. It's streaming a few different places. Everybody has access to Tubi. Give it a go. This is a good time. That's my recommendation. What about you, ladies? What would you, would you recommend Exorcist 3? Yes, watch it immediately for the performance yes. and that hallway scene alone. It is worth it. It's so good. Skip the second one and just move right on to number three. That's my recommendation. Yep. There. How about you? Uh, I heard you say yes, Matilda. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Sarah? That I would. Would you recommend? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent a couple of winners good job arrow no, we all kind absolutely of... recommend this this is this is a great movie um i think this is some of the best acting and we have seen some excellent acting acting from brad dorf i mean i think this is yeah. some of the best that he's ever done agreed agreed so rachel what have i made what? up for hagazuza and dr Giggles? oh yeah girl <laughs> yes yes okay, yes <laughs> all is forgiven <laughs> ariel when Although, you say man. that i kind of wish that that was the pairing that you'd made was hagazuza and dr giggles as an episode. <laughs> you guys would have been so confused <laughs> hey, it still would have been less manic as my uh double feature at the theater one one time of uh, leaving las vegas and sense and sensibility Oh my! What? That's oh. a crazy yeah. combo, Sarah. <laughs> that is wild. That is wild. All right, <laughs> awesome. So, listeners at home, what did you think? Did you enjoy this pairing as much as we did? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at rachelzombiegirls.com, or you can come chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page. Or you should already be following us at least on Instagram at ZG Podcasts. And uh, if you're enjoying the show, do us a huge favor leave us a review or rate us wherever it is that you're getting your pods, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. All that stuff really helps us. It lets people know we exist. <laughs> and also, it makes us feel good. If you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight because you've already watched Exorcist 3 and Psycho 3, you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar. It's the end of the year. You got to get caught up with all the horror movies that are coming on out. All the spooky uh, Christmas stuff is coming now. So you want to know about that, you can find out about it on our calendar where we cover all the streaming services and video on demand. If you want to support us with some cash money, you can do that a couple of ways. You can buy some of our sweet, sweet merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch, or you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls, where we have all kinds of cool perks. You can join our, our Discord, where we hang out all day, every day. So you should definitely join for that. And of course, you get extended episodes like today. What are we doing on the extended episode today, Ariel? So Sarah decided to torture us, and we will be watching. <laughs> we will be watching Ari Aster's short film, "The Strange Thing About the Johnsons." <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to hear us talk about that, stick around for the extended episode, or join our Patreon so you can watch with, or listen with us. Absolutely. All right. So that just leaves our plan for the next episode. Matilda, do you have you get to be in charge of programming? Do you have any idea what you want to do yet? I'm not uh -huh, sure, but uh -huh. I'm sure it will be upsetting. As always. <laughs> we would expect nothing less from you, Tilly. <laughs> I appreciate that. I cannot wait for this ordeal. 
Awesome. Okay. In that case, Ariel, you want to take us out? Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the Zombie Girls podcast. I appreciate you listening to an odd episode where we reviewed the third film in a couple of famous (laughs) series. (laughs) I hope that you check out those movies if you haven't already and catch us back here next time for whatever torment Matilda decides to put us through. All right, everybody. That's (laughs) it for us. Bye. Bye, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode where things are going to get real weird today. And real dark. <laughs> real dark. Yeah. Real dark. I'm just, I'll just put that out there right now. If you're in a place where you don't want to talk about super dark uh, subject matter, you know, just, just know that that is proceed with caution because we're going to be talking about some rough, rough stuff, um, which is why, incidentally, that this is the extended episode. Yeah. so over october we decided if you're uh, already on our instagram you already know that way we celebrated spooky season was we did a quote-unquote mini mini movie marathon where we watched a short film every weekday of the month and talked about it in a very short like compressed review like our general feelings and couldn't delve deep into it, which is fine for a short film. I mean, I think some films have places where you can talk more. Um, you can have a, a, a larger dialogue about them, but sometimes they're really just kind of like at a very well executed setup and jump scare kind of thing. Um, and in the process of that, we took suggestions from people in the audience. We took suggestions from uh, fellow podcasters at um, Girl That's Scary um and we also internally took suggestions of short films we wanted to talk about and in the process <laughs> there was one short film <laughs> uh, a little film called the strange things about the johnsons by ari aster who of course has become kind of a a modern horror master of the moment um that came up and it was originally meant to be discussed during the month then we watched it <laughs> and we came to the realization that there is no possible way that we could talk about this film in the abbreviated amount of time that was required for it to be something that would fit in a social media format so (laughs) rather than scrub it because we watched it and we have to process it because i don't think we can just hold this one um we decided to save it for an extended episode where we can actually like delve into it a little deeper. Now, Sarah, you were the chooser of this film when we put together the list. Can I ask what made you decide this is the one you wanted? You definitely wanted to make sure we covered. Uh, because we are, we are Ari Aster stands. Yeah. And, uh, this was definitely something. <laughs> uh, for all the, uh, for every, for, for, for all the, the, the torture and, uh, what the fuckedness of hereditary and um and midsummer this was like this Woo. was yeah. Woo. <laughs> yeah i wasn't ready <laughs> if you thought those were tough explorations of family just wait, <laughs> just wait. oh boy yeah. oh so, boy yeah so uh trigger warning to anybody who wants to play along watch or watch along this is a movie about sexual abuse Yes. Yes. So, um, yep. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. 
<laughs> this is a rough go. <sighs> and I mean, like, I think all of you guys, like, we're horror fans. We watch really dark stuff and enjoy it. Um, and so I do think I went into this with a bit of hubris. And so I would caution those out there. Just if you're feeling hubris in this moment, you know, be gentle with yourself. <laughs> choose, choose accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Matilda, you did a little background research on this because I feel like this definitely requires some context. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned? Yeah, because um, I watched this and then I, with the hubris that you were talking about, and then I came <laughs> out the other side going, why and how did yeah. this movie get made thanks everybody for listening and to all my co-hosts for waking up early every month just to talk about horror movies with me production on this episode was done by yours truly our theme song for the show is 80s halloween horror by megan mcduffie 